This song always reminds me of the first Jackass movie. Seriously? It's when they dress up as pandas and skate around <laughs> uh, Tokyo. Oh, man. Hour two of the game, Mitch Fortner, Troy Coverdale, and Sajay Williams. I've been seeing a lot of these lists come out today. Maybe not necessarily a list, but just picking out, like, who do you think is the best running back returning in college football this season? I saw Fox put one out earlier today. The latest I saw was from 27 sport, 24-7 Sports. And number one, they have B. John Robinson. Listen here. All right. <laughs> I know B. John plays for Texas and maybe had, like, two more rushing yards. And I don't even know where he finished, honestly. I don't know if he was better or worse. But there's no doubt about it. Deuce Vaughn is the more of a threat when it comes to being a receiver. He had definitely more receiving yards and catches than B. John Robinson. And Deuce Vaughn doesn't have to be this big, beefy guy to be a good running back. He does it being small, and he's still hard to tackle. He does it in a way that's a little bit out of the ordinary, I suppose. Doesn't need to be the biggest guy in the weight room. And then Ohio State is listed here with Travion Henderson. He's a Buckeye, whatever. Wisconsin has Braylon Allen listed here. Who has heard of a Wisconsin running back since Monty Ball? Who else is listed here? The Sean Tucker guy from Syracuse. I didn't know they still had football. Valid. Blake Corum of Michigan. This guy from Kentucky. Alabama has a running back listed eighth. That doesn't really seem right. It should be higher. Just because it's Alabama, then there's a couple, a couple more SEC, a lot of SEC and Big Ten on here. Please. How we far down know, the list did they go, Deuce? Deuce Vaughn is number four. Okay. Deuce Vaughn is four. Bijan is first. Travion Henderson second. Braylon Allen of Wisconsin is third. I, I got to look up this Braylon Allen guy. Because is he really that good? <laughs> I don't know if I believe that. All right, here's his stats. Hilly ran for 1,200 yards last year and 12 touchdowns. How many catches? He had eight. He didn't even have a, a receiving touchdown. And you're trying to tell me that this kid who was just a freshman last year, he didn't even leave the state he's from. Deuce left home. He, he, his parents have to drive like 11 hours <laughs> to go see his football games, and you're telling me this in-state kid had only 1,200 rushing yards. Please. Vaughn is a dual threat running back that can't be stopped. Never been hurt. And if he has, we have no idea. Yeah, Deuce had over 1,400 yards last year on the ground. Wisconsin, were they any good last year? I don't even remember their record. They finished second in the Big Ten. All right. Yeah, oh, okay, they were 9-4. and four. So a game better than the Cats last year. So don't tell me this kid is better than Deuce Vaughn. I'm not here for this. Deuce Vaughn is going to tear it up in 2022. Let alone the defense. You know they're going to tear some folks up this next year. I could go on and on. But hashtag my boy Deuce Vaughn. There's a reason why there's only been one hashtag my boy in the history of hashtag my boy. It's because it's... (laughs) Batting a thousand, it's one for one, and Deuce Vaughn has been amazing, and he's going to be amazing this next season. There's no secret. There's no secret anymore about this kid. He is the face of K State Athletics. No offense to Aoka Lee, but Deuce Vaughn is getting national attention. 
He is the national attention of Kansas State when it comes to K-State football, no doubt about it. But I tell you what, I, it seems like Aoka Lee is, diff, is getting more of the uh, NIL attention. I saw she was doing something with degree, like the deodorant, mm-hmm. doing something with them, wing stop. Yeah, so uh, you know, Aoka Lee does have an argument for the national attention category, which, by the way, the gamies. we got to be doing that soon. The third annual Gamey Awards. Maybe we'll do that next week. It's a good time to do it. All right. Let's get back into the sports here because, um, well, not like we weren't talking sports, but um, what we were uh, scheduled to talk about. Number one song of the day, uh, Sage will, at the end of the show, host us and some Ask Us Anything. But once again, this has been going on since 2016, and it's been getting the same results. Our beloved, Michael Bishop. Some will say the greatest athlete in K-State football history, maybe even K-State history. I would disagree. But nonetheless, he's in the argument, is once again up for vote and on the ballot for the College Football Hall of Fame class of 2023. This class will be announced early of 2023, and they'll be going in in December. There are 80 players and nine coaches on this year's ballot. And Bishop has been on the ballot since 2016. I mean, here, here's here. I think this is why he's been continually being on the ballot. So, you know, some of the criteria is once nominated for consideration. I'll read word for word what the College Football Hall of Fame has here. All FBS player candidates are submitted to one of eight district screening committees, depending on their school's geographic location, which conducts a vote to determine who will appear on the ballot and represent their respective districts. Each year, approximately 15 candidates who are not selected for the College Football Hall of Fame but receive significant votes in the final selection will be named automatic holdovers and will bypass the district screening process and automatically appear in the ballot the following year. Now, I can't like 100% tell you that's year in and year out the reason Michael Bishop is still on the ballot. I mean, the, to be nominated, the strictest thing is you had to be a first-team All-American. By a publication, or somebody in the media, that is recognized by the NCAA. You also have to be 10 years removed from your last year of college football, and you can no longer be recommended for the ballot if your career ended 50 years. Like, your career's already been over for 50 years. However, there's also, like, some gray area. If your career was over 50 years ago, there is still a way to get in. So it is a bit loose on that criteria, except for you have to be first-team All-American. Michael Bishop was first-team All-American. Now, that first class, I mean, laughable. In 2016, when he was first nominated, Marlon Briscoe got in over Michael Bishop. I know he was some big deal in Omaha. For Nebraska Omaha when they still had their and he played in the seven or uh, excuse me he played in the sixties and his numbers you know would be laughable today but back then were some great numbers and he set some records and he had a run in the NFL but also he, Randall Cunningham was picked over Michael Bishop and also like Troy Davis went in that year William uh, Fuller went in that year uh, Herb Orvis a name you might remember Troy from Colorado went in that mm-hmm. year. Um. Yes, it's clear, 
and it's obvious to us that Michael Bishop should be a college football Hall of Famer. But the thing is, like, unfortunately, with the College Football Hall of Fame, there is, I'm going to ballpark it here, I I don't even know what a, a medium or a median would be on how many players get in every year. It seems like some years are more than others. It, there's no set number on on every year. But I would say like a median might be 12, 13, 12, 13, maybe even more than that. I'm even not sure. It just it varies every year. But I would imagine, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15, somewhere in there is typically the amount. Maybe sometimes it's more than that. It just depends on the year. And also the committee, once they receive the votes, they decide who goes in. But not very many quarterbacks make it in every year. That is a more precise number. We're talking usually just two get in. There's been one exception during the era of Michael Beasley getting nominated for the College Football Hall of Fame that got three. So, yeah, you're looking at two quarterbacks to get in. When Coach Snyder was inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame, only one quarterback got in that year, and that was Michael Payton, who used to play at Troy. Michael Payton, where'd he play? Mm, you cornered me on that. Well, let's, here's the deal. If you're going to win the million dollars, yeah, I know. when we play the podcast, who wants to be a millionaire, you got to know these things. He I went, know. He played a Marshall. Okay. During your college years. Back when they still were a uh, 1AA team. Here are the names that have been selected over Michael Bishop since he's been first nominated in 2016. You have this bum named Matt Leinert. What do you, you want a Heisman Trophy? <laughs> <laughs> we know Michael Bishop should have won a Heisman Trophy, but, you know, this guy named Ricky Williams, the one from Texas, not Texas Tech, ran for over 2,100 yards and was a leading rusher in college football by like 400 yards. He ended up winning a Heisman Trophy that year. also ran for... An, a terrible amount of yards when he played K-State. Peyton Manning was picked over Michael Bishop. Kerry Collins, who played at Penn State. This kid from Montana named Dave Dickinson. I don't even know who that is. I do. Heck of a CFL coach right now, by the way, too. How do you know that? So you know Montana. That. Montana. Yeah, okay. he's, he's one of the legends up, up there. Yeah, in a state that has 12 people. Uh, yes, but has been a national power. Uh, Jake Plummer, Arizona State. Oh, Jake the Snake. Got in over Michael Bishop. Uh, Vince Young. Okay, I'll let that one slide. Boy. Eric Crouch. Ugly. Yeah. Arguably the worst Heisman Trophy winner of all time is in there. Steve McNair, Alcorn State kid. Cade McNown went to UCLA. The legend from USC, Carson Palmer, who never beat K-State in his day. Tony Romo was picked over Michael Bishop from Eastern Illinois. He did play against K-State once upon a time. Got his butt whooped. I'm not even sure how to say that. Chuck Ely, am I saying that right? Mm -hmm. From Toledo. Mm -hmm. Played way back in the day. And then the last one is Andrew Luck. So those are all the quarterbacks during that time that's been picked over Michael Bishop. Yes, I, I would say there's definitely a handful you can make the argument that Michael Bishop was more talented than 
I've noticed a trend, though. Michael Bishop played at K-State for two years. All these quarterbacks that have been picked were playing FBS. Well, maybe not all FBS. We're, we're all at their schools you know, for more than two years. Mm-hmm. They were able you know, to stay home, have a long career at those schools, and set all of these records. Michael Bishop set some K-State records. He wasn't a Wildcat, though. For He was just there for two years. I'm just kind of pointing that out. Again, I don't think that should be limiting Michael Bishop's opportunity to get into the College Football Hall of Fame. But year in, year out, it's really tough competition. Mm-hmm. And those that can argue they were All-Americans, first-team All-Americans more than a couple of years, some of them were. NCAA records, SEC Player of the Year type of stuff, or you know, Conference Player of the Year. Yeah, it's been really, really, really tough competition. And when we come back, I'm gonna get I'm gonna put Troy to the test here. There are other quarterbacks on this list, of course, for the 2023 ballot in the College Football Hall of Fame. Does Michael Bishop have the edge over half of the group? Troy and I will discuss that when we come back. We continue on with our discussion of Michael Bishop once again on the ballot for the College Football Hall of Fame. He's been on the ballots pretty much since 2016. He's been passed up every single year, but does he have a chance to get in this year? So Troy and I are going to break it down. There are 10 quarterbacks up for the College Football Hall of Fame for the class of 2023. As I mentioned in the previous segment, typically... Two quarterbacks get in every year. What are the chances, which if you go by the odds, he has a one in five chance of getting in. But if we go over the uh, over the names here, does Michael Bishop fall in the top two? I feel like it is once again a very big, I should just say very long shot mm-hmm. of getting in. So let's go in alphabetical order. Matt Cavanaugh, he played at Pitt, and he was a first-team All-American in 1977, national championship in 76, MVP honors in the Sugar Bowl, Gator Bowl, finished ranked second all-time in Pitt's history, behind only Tony Dorsett for career yards of total offense. The Johnny Majors era of Pitt football would would be a solid pick. Not a great pick, not an outstanding pick, but a solid pick. Yeah, I mean, I'm not uh, – if you look at the two years of Michael Bishop and of his total offense, um, yeah. yeah, of course doesn't – I mean, I would say – I would put him definitely over – I put Michael Bishop definitely over Matt Kavanaugh. Oh, I yeah. I think that's an easy one. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I'm just it saying that really touch. In, in terms of Kavanaugh, he's a guy that, you know – but of course, if you two look different at this errors. list. He's a yeah. He's a he's an average guy in in the yeah. air, in our Hall of Fame eyes of looking at him. Right, and I I also you know I I tend to forget you know this is twenty years prior to Michael Bishop, a different era. You didn't see the quite the you didn't see quite the oh, stats. Yeah. 
But I still think, I mean, Michael Bishop, in my opinion, was also kind of ahead of his game as well. Uh, Tim Couch, Kentucky quarterback, 1998 consensus first team. So we're talking about the same era. He was fourth in the Heisman voting. Mm -hmm. Uh, SEC player of the year. Hey, listen, if this is 98 and he finished behind Michael Bishop in the Heisman voting, automatic disqualification. (laughs) You're not getting in over Michael Bishop. You just shouldn't. Right. Next is Ken Dorsey, Miami quarterback. 02 first team All American, back to back BCS national championship games, won the title his junior year, and then left Miami as a school record holder in career total offense and passing yards. Maxwell Award winner in 2001. I just don't have that feeling that that is a Hall of Fame name. Uh, while, yes, he was on two teams that played for the national title, 1 1. Uh, those teams were loaded around him. Yes. They were tremendously loaded around him, and it was their defense more than their offense that they were known for at the time. Yeah, Ken Dorsey. I'm giving the advantage to Michael Bishop. Get out of here, Ken Dorsey. Get back to coaching. Josh Heupel, Oklahoma. National championship winner, of course, in 2000. Uh or I should say 2001, mm-hmm. technically, the Orange Bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, Big 12 Player of the Year in 2000. He basically every passing record at Oklahoma when he left. And what he does have in common with Michael Bishop, just played two years at that school. Um, but this is where Heupel does have the advantage over Michael Bishop. That is winning the national championship, mm-hmm. Big 12 school. Um, he definitely had a better passing uh completion percentage than Michael Bishop because I mean, you know that 97 season it's it's what is holding my, Michael Bishop back in my opinion is where that completion percentage was like 42% 13 touchdowns eight interceptions but was great at running the football yet he was much better in 20 or in, in 1998 mm-hmm. but Josh Heupel is some tough competition in that respect I would agree that that one is a tough call but you know what? I'm still giving the advantage to Michael Bishop. If Michael Bishop was playing on that 2000 team, they're winning that Big 12 championship. Ryan Leaf. <laughs> Wazoo. 97 first teamer. Pac-10 Pac at the time offensive player mm-hmm. of the year. I don't know. There's, I know Ryan Leaf got himself, you know, he's, you know, charger for a minute. All that controversy, he has battled back from his drugs, right? Yes. He's battled back from all his demons. He's now much better. He was in a lot of legal trouble there for a while. Mm-hmm. I know part of the – here's the deal. That's what's going to bite him. I don't need to look up his numbers. What's going to hurt Ryan Leaf is another criteria that comes with the College Football Hall of Fame. How have you represented yourself outside the game and also in the community of football? That is going to be a tough call on the part of the Hall of Fame and Hall of Fame voters because if you look at the current situation, the current Ryan Leaf, if you will, it's a great redemption story. Will they look at his current situation in terms of how he has battled back from all of those demons, battled back from his problems, Will they look at that and say that that 
overcomes in their eyes the other issues that he've had over the years the ones that would make it uh a no hard no well how does how does what he's accomplished at this point change that next is kellen moore boise state beat the oklahoma sooners in the fiesta bowl set ncaa records lowest career Interception percentage tied the NCAA record for four 3,000-yard passing seasons. He's the all-time leading passer in Boise State history. Now, of course, with the Dallas Cowboys. So now I think we're getting into the names that are going to be a lot tougher mm-hmm. to beat out. Kellen, I mean, Kellen Moore was, of course, a part of one of the greatest non-Power 5 victories in the history of college football. Right with Boise State beating Oklahoma in that Fiesta Bowl. But if you span an overall career, Kellen Moore was incredible. I mean, he's he almost had 15,000 yards passing in his career at Boise State. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I got to go Michael Bishop. I got to go Michael Bishop on that one. Now we have Rantuane Randall L. from Indiana. First team All-American, of course. Uh, first player in FBS history to pass for 6,000 yards and rush for 3,000 yards. Here is where Michael Bishop, I'm afraid he just doesn't quite, he's he's not going to be able to beat these guys out. Antoine randall had an amazing career at Indiana, also sharing a year with Michael Bishop where he wasn't, well, I shouldn't say wasn't, I mean he was really good his freshman year. And that was 1998, where he passed for 1,700 yards, but he also ran for almost 900. But he had too many interceptions, and that's where the issue comes up. Antoine Randall threw a lot of interceptions mm-hmm. compared to his touchdowns, but it's the yardage where he just absolutely chewed up yardage. 7,500 yards passing, and he also ran for 3,900 yards in his career. So now, if you take away the interceptions, which he had 37 in his four-year career. Mm-hmm. So four years, 37 interceptions. Two years were a bit rough. One of them was his freshman year. Honestly, trying to be unbiased about that, Antoine randall might get in over Michael Bishop. Played with a lagging supporting cast and really had to work to make his teammates better and did and did and and put indiana back into a bit of relevance for a short time because of what he was accomplishing but yes turnovers were part of that because he was trying to make things happen an awful lot all right we have two more alex smith forget about the leg injury we're just talking his college game but he was the Sports Illustrated National Player of the Year in 2004, fourth in the Heisman voting in 04, led Utah to an undefeated season, 12 and 0, won their B, uh, BCS Bowl, the O5 Fiesta, finished fourth in the rankings, and of course had his you know Mountain West Conference Player of the Year awards. And then the final one is Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow is 100% going to get yeah. into. This year's ballot, or not in the ballot, but he is going to be picked yeah. for the College Football Hall of Fame 
this year. Yeah, that's a gimme. Won the Heisman his sophomore year, won two national championships. He was a media darling. His Tebowing Neil, whatever. <laughs> People were talking more about that than yeah. LeBron James. Yeah. Tim Tebow's getting in. So basically, Michael Bishop has got a shot against nine others or eight others. I, it's not going to happen. I would be shocked if Michael Bishop does get picked this year. There are some really, really tough competition that was more than a, was a national name for sure at their time. Record breakers. I could go on and on. It's just really, really tough competition for Michael Bishop to get in this year. And that sucks. Because we know around here that Michael Bishop was an incredible talent mm-hmm. that excelled his last year. Mm-hmm. But also, I mean, just those those teams, 97 and 98, those teams were incredible. Michael Bishop, though, was able to find a way to stand out with his athleticism, his arm, an incredible arm. But it's unfortunate that he's going to get picked over once again. Most likely will get picked over once again by others on this list. All right, when we come back, let's get to a number one song of the day. Ask us anything else is coming up here on the game. Strumming my pain with his fingers, singing my life with his words, killing me softly with his song, killing me softly with his song, telling my whole life with his words, killing me softly. From 1973, Killing Me Softly with his song by Roberta Flack. Five weeks at number one. What you're hearing, guys, is a subgenre called Quiet Storm. And Roberta Flack is noted for being influential in this genre. A Quiet Storm. I mean, the cl- the definition I get from that is like, yes, this is a very calm song. But it's got some impactful uh, storytelling to it. She is an American singer from Black Mountain, North Carolina. That sounds haunted. By age 15. She received a full ride on a music scholarship to Howard University. She was one of the youngest students to ever enroll there. She was a major in piano, but then she changed it over to voice because she knew she had a much better talent with the voice, but she can still play some instruments. Now, she is 85 years old. She has not performed since before the pandemic. So she hasn't been out there since 2019. But in her time, she has put out 20 studio albums, 11 top 40 hits. So the second of three number ones. Sage, did you ever learn about Roberta Flack during your music history class? No, we did not. That's too modern for for music history, unfortunately. too bad. (laughs) (laughs) This is from her studio album called Killing Me Softly. 
and it won the 1974 Grammy Award for Record of the Year. So this is actually not her song. It was originally written and performed by Lori Lieberman. And she says it was inspired by the Don McLean, a Don McLean performance she went to in 1971 when she heard him perform Empty Chairs. Lieberman wrote a poem on a napkin describing how she felt about McLean's performance and brought it to songwriters Norman Gimbel and Charles Fox, who also wrote the TV themes for Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley. Now, they claim that where this song came from, she's full of it. They say they had this book of song titles, lyric ideas, and they just basically pulled this from a book. St. Lieberman's story... That's basically it's basically just a tall tale. It's not really true. <laughs> well, there is a I feel like a system that you can use for writing music just to make it popular. And they abused that for sure. <laughs> but the thing is like this this song. I don't know like, you know, this is clearly like an R&B subgenre. R&B has had its runs, certainly in the 70s. It definitely had a it, it had a gigantic run in the 90s. Mm-hmm. I mean, heck, if you go look up the number one songs in the 90s, I mean, there were R&B songs in there that were number one for like 15 weeks. Giving a shout out there to Boys to Men that had a couple of them that were seemed oh. like they were number one for a whole oh, year. For, yeah, right. I don't know, today, the way modern music is today, I don't think this would make it. I don't think so either, because right now it's trying to find the quickest, catchiest song that you can, essentially. Because that's TikTok. Everyone's obsessed with that and making the quickest buck, essentially, on their music. Well, heck, these days, I mean, I mean, I'm trying not to, it's an easy audience. It is a dumbed down, like what, what today's pop music, not everything, but a lot of it. It is really dumbed down to an audience that is very gullible. Well, and to an audience that has a shorter attention span. I and think. a shorter attention span. <laughs> yes, you move on too quickly. Like, yes. S- songs these days don't, will never have, there will be some, like um, The Weeknd. That song you had, um, blind, well, blinding, blinding lights. Blinding yeah. lights. Yes, that will stand the test of time. I'm sure that will that will be a favorite for a long time. That'll still be played ten years, fifteen, twenty years from now. There are very few songs that'll reach that status today. And this is a song that's forgotten about, in my opinion. Historians will bring it up as a classic hit, but people these days, like especially those who are younger than me. Very few know this song. I guarantee very few know this song. I mean, I feel like I've heard it maybe once. You know what I mean? But I don't know well, this song. Well, yeah. like when the Fugees recorded it. Yes, it was a hit at the time. It wasn't this big, though. It wasn't Roberta Black or Roberta Flack big. Getting my letters mixed up. Yeah, I'm ve- I'd be very surprised if anybody younger than me has heard of this song. 
or at least the Roberta Flack version. All right, where are we at here? Anyway, the way Roberta Flack heard of this song was from Lieberman's version. She heard it on an in-flight tape recording, and she's like, "Man, this is a really good song. I should, I should do this." So she took, she, she got to New York, went into the studio right away, started messing with it. It took her three months to get it right. She figured it out. Honestly, I mean, taking three months to write or to record a song that is a cover that seems a bit much it seems a bit tedious a little over the top it's that, over the top yeah. which it sounds like to me like she must it, be a perfectionist at well that point. i mean even if as a perfectionist shouldn't take you three months to record a cover but she made a few tweaks to it and she became the first artist to win the grammy award for record of the year two consecutive years the first time it was well the first time ever i saw your face and then one with killing me softly with his song in 90 and 74 you two and billy eilish were the only others to repeat this which by the way billy eilish's music i don't get it that's fair i don't Billie Eilish once said she didn't think she deserved a Grammy for bad guy or not that she didn't deserve it, but she thought it was weird that she got a Grammy for that one. Cause it's like four notes. And I kind of agree generally with Billie Eilish that it's, it's whatever. There's a phenomenon. You there. know, I respect Billie Eilish for the way she became fa- I mean, SoundCloud with her brother in their house making this music never was signed or anything like that. That's the way they continue to do things. Yep. I could respect the hell out of that. But for that bad guy song winning a Grammy, that's a stupid song. Yeah. <laughs> and the Grammy Awards, you should. Uh... Man, I don't, I don't know what to say. Like, I didn't know that had won the Grammy until now. It's like for best song. It's based it was best I think pop song best or something. pop song of the year. She won like. Four or five that year, though. It, that was one of like five well, of them. It's a popularity contest, oh, yeah. and Billie Eilish is was is still very popular. Anyway, uh huh. The Fuji song went number three fifty nine on Rolling Stone's top five hundred greatest songs of all time. Roberta Flax is a little bit better at two seventy three, and it finished number eighty two on Billboard's greatest songs of all time. kind of boring mm-hmm it's gonna just yeah like I can respect it for being what it what it was at the time big for R&B yeah I mean I don't know maybe I'd rather listen to bad guy no I'm just kidding <laughs> yeah I know better anything you want to add Troy no I you know Roberta Flack is one of the best no doubt best voices in the game and was tremendous, but uh, yeah, that it, it just wound up too laid back. And every time I hear it, I think of the Fuji's version. Who was in that group? Lauren Hill. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, I'm blanking on the two dudes. Troy, you're supposed to know these. I know, know. this. You got to remember, I. You know, woke up at four. You got Lauren morning. Hill, Wyclef Jean, oh, and yeah. Praz Michael or mm. Mitchell. 
All right, ask us anything up next. Sage, the floor is yours. All right, first question. If you had to eliminate one genre of music, <laughs> what would it be? Well, after I'm, we just got yeah, done bashing I mean, Billy Eilish. I, I will stick with what I've said in the past, and that is bro country. Bro country. I, I know I said like modern pop music is dumbed down. That is the dumbest down version of music. Okay. It's, it, there's literally an algorithm to it, and it's every song is literally about the same thing. Ladies and gentlemen, not a fan of Luke Bryan. <laughs> no. <laughs> Neither am I. I mean, yeah, I'm not really either, so I get that. Um, and nobody panders harder. Right? Yeah. Um, I was thinking along the lines of ska. Ska. I, I'm okay you with some ska. ska. I mean, Why? like, you know, about, every, about every 20 years we hear it's going to happen. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I could get rid of ska. Mighty, Mighty like Boss the, It's like the damn cicadas. Mighty Mighty Boss are fun. So is Real Big Fish. They're fun. Well, I don't know. I thought about this a lot because this is honestly kind of hard to me. I don't like meme music. Like, I don't know if that's a genre, but when people make a song that's supposed to be funny and then it's all over the internet for ever and ever, you hear it on every video, I don't like that and it annoys me. So I feel like if that counts, I'd want to get rid of that. Oh, I understand what you're saying now. Yeah, okay. Essentially TikTokish. Yeah, yeah TikTok music. Let's just get rid of music on TikTok altogether. <laughs> um, what sport would be the funniest if you had to add a mandatory amount of alcohol to it? I mean, the funniest ideas I have that could turn deadly really fast. Yeah. Like, honestly, <laughs> the first thing that popped in my mind was gymnastics. Oh. Wow. But that could get bad. I went hockey. Hockey? Oh, that was, that's I mean, very dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. You're, <laughs> you you're talking about more sharpened fights. skates. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought of soccer almost immediately. I don't know why. That one just came to mind. Well, soccer, see, they're running all over the place, so you're just going to see dudes puking. Or that, women puking yeah. all over the place. That's true. We can squeeze in one yeah, more. Yeah, one more quick one. What food do you hate the smell of? Okay, so if I could tell a really quick story. Yeah. So this lady that used to own a Chinese restaurant in Concordia once made what was called a century egg. And it was black. Mm-hmm. And when she peeled the when she peeled the egg, it was stinky. I mean, it's <laughs> it stunk up the whole room. It was bad. I'll never forget that smell. I can't even give you an example of what it smelled like. Well, it's a rotten egg. <laughs> yeah, essentially. Um, fish in the microwave. It was worse than a spoiled egg or a raw egg. Oh. Sage? Uh, celery. I hate celery. That's the game. <laughs> We're back tomorrow. Go cats. <laughs>